Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Post Questionnaire. 35 questions giving us insight into what makes creative people tick. So, hi, Caroline. How are you today? Hi, Willie. I'm doing well. You? I'm thrilled because we have a really wonderful guest today, uh, a filmmaker who made an amazing movie. Uh, he's called Same Zoabi, and he made a wonderful film, which I think you've now seen, called Tel Aviv on Fire. Such a great film. Yeah. No, and so tell, yeah, tell me more about him. So he's, he's from- known him for a few years, and he's a Palestinian filmmaker. He lives in New York, and this film is a sitcom that's really about a Palestinian crew filming this telenovela, and all of Israel starts watching it, and then his character gets caught in the middle at a checkpoint, really literally, um, and starts writing the script for every episode. And I just love that he uses the medium of this kind of afternoon family or a night family drama to talk about the tensions that are in that country right now. All right. To begin, what is your idea of perfect happiness? Sunny mornings. Okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. It looks sunny today from your window on Zoom, but we're not in the morning. Did you have a good morning today? Yeah, you know, it's it's. Uh, I think it's a childhood thing. You know, I I grew up uh, the ninth of the the youngest of nine, and I was the first one to wake up in the house. And huh. Almost every day I woke up around five, and so after if you know a few times being kicked from every room, kicked out of every room, uh, the only place left for me is the balcony. And and watching you know growing up in the Middle East with a lot of sun every day, it's just it was one of my favorite times to be starting my day, you know? Oh, that's great. You're, yeah. the, you're the, the last of nine and they're first to get up. Like that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, I mean, what's your greatest fear? Um, I think the image of a, of a dark sea has always terrified me. Hmm. I think, like, I, 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 I get melancholic when sun, sunset and darkness hit the the ocean kind of thing, like when I'm on the beach. I think those, this is like the moment where I feel the most melancholic, I feel like and dark and hmm. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's such an interesting kind of companion piece though to the, the sunny morning is your idea of perfect happiness. We always find that that's kind of an abrupt transition from one question to another, but that's those work interestingly together, I guess. I know, you know, I, I know, I haven't seen the questions also, so it's like, it's almost like... <laughs> right. Right. You're on your toes, that's good. <laughs> that, yeah, that's great. A lot of our a lot of our guests prefer not to see the questions first, and it, the spontaneity of it is is really fun. Uh, what is the trait you most deplore in yourself? Uh, I don't know, too sensitive sometimes. Hmm. Sensitive to criticism, to... 
pain to no to you know for you know i guess the part of that kind of part of that coin of sympathy and you know it's just i you know people's misery can can bring me down a little bit like i feel very and and sometimes it's hard to snap out of it but it's, i don't know it's just that kind of feeling you know yeah yeah what is the trait you most deplore in others then what do you mean like it's a little bit of just like char- like a personality characteristic that particularly frustrates you angers you uh irritates you in other people holding grudges okay oh yeah really <laughs> it's like I, I, like, you know, I, i think you know i think i always feel like conflict is you know, it's easy to create conflict i think and i don't know just i i even if i get myself drunk, i always like to get out of it as quick as possible i don't like tension over conflict but yeah. holding that and uh, for longer is sometimes it makes me like well, why you know we're going to work this out kind of thing <laughs> yeah. yeah um which living person do you most admire well i, I mean of course my mom <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> you, know, you think you know i you know she's she's 80 85 now and she's been always you know for me a, a big inspiration strong woman you know dedicated for her family you know supportive mm-hmm. uh, loved everybody with you know unconditionally so it's kind of uh, it's hard it's hard to yeah. to resist growing up with such a such a figure in your life not to admire after all these years and you know so yeah nice um i mean what is your greatest extravagance yeah i think it's having a nice meal few drinks and take a nap <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty modest for an extravagance <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, I mean if you want to keep going, I mean with you know on a on a breezy day, a breezy afternoon. Okay. <laughs> and the extravagance is all of that together or is it the nap at the end of it or is it drinks during the day? What's the particular extravagance about that arrangement? I think when you know, when it comes to the meal, I like it to be like a good nice social experience where laughter is as an essential part of it. Uh, so it's a good time with friends and you know having fun laughing nothing too serious no nice. nothing too intellectual either you know just that kind of you know afternoon of a nice meal and a drink and then go home and take a nap or at least if it's in my <laughs> home at least i can say excuse me <laughs> i'm going for a nap <laughs> that's great uh what is your current state of mind would you say Uh, which is i think 80% of my time usually contemplative <laughs> oh. uh, i like to you know i'm 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 th- you know it's like I'm, my mind is always working you know i guess maybe because of my field but also like uh, you know uh, it's, it's it's a moment where you stay home a lot and not you know not a lot of commotions not a lot of people that that i see or so yeah that's uh, yeah interesting What do you consider the most overrated virtue? Mm. <laughs> I, you know this heroism, you know? Mm. Heroism. Okay. Say more about that. You know, just to glorify people's action too much to a moment of like glory and 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 all of that i think i think it should be natural i think like it's a given almost like what you know when you do a good job you know good work with you know a good moral deed i think you know it should be it should be given that that's life it's not you know. so so sometimes you know picking up one person and picking up one thing to glorify something that is such a basic human <laughs> trait that is sometimes uh, yeah It's interesting because we're living in a time where the baseline 
is so low that anybody doing anything reasonably not hurtful and insane is considered already an outstanding paragon of virtue. You're saying yeah. it should be the baseline. To be a good person should be the baseline. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, uh... Interesting. Yeah, there was a, a great, there was a press conference with um, the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, that I saw a few weeks ago where he was talking about, he was conceding that the federal government had done a few small things to help New York City in particular during this pandemic. And, and he said, kind of addressing President Trump, well, you know, thank you and I thank you again. But on the other hand, do I really have to thank you for doing your job? <laughs> and I thought that was a kind of funny that, yeah, it should be our jobs, as, as you indicate, to, to be good people to do the right thing. So, yeah. And on, you know, the, the, on the other side, we have a president that every minute he wants to be glorified as someone doing everything great. We're yeah. doing a great job. I'm doing great. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I think that was Cuomo's point, actually. <laughs> Why do you keep expecting me to tell you how great you are uh, for doing what you're supposed to be doing in, in some cases? But, yeah. Um, on what occasion do you lie? You know, I don't know. I, I, I hope I don't. I, you know, even if I, I always like my mantra was always, you know, uh, uh, you know, if you don't, you know, if you don't lie, you don't have to remember anything. And I like to stay by that. <laughs> you know, I, I really do. I really try as much as possible. I, so I don't know. I mean, I could maybe sometimes to just avoid tension, drama, I would sort of, uh, you know, have a softer version of reality, but I won't call it a, a lie. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I try to live by that. I think, you know, it's a, there's, there's no room in my brain for a lot of things to to keep. You know, we need to empty some space. So. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So, yeah, if you don't lie, you don't have to remember to keep track of the lie and to preserve that sort of parallel fiction. Exactly, because then it becomes like, you know, you have too much. And then how could you create? How could you write new stories if you like your hard drive is already blocked? <laughs> right. Okay. Fair enough. So, yeah, if in the very broad scheme of things, you're lying for a living by by creating stories, then it's better not to, have to do that. Exactly. Off. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do you most dislike about your appearance? Oh. I guess I could just recently I'm losing my hair a little bit. <laughs> so <laughs> like, you know, I always thought I would have a nice, you know, Elvis, uh, Elvis hair, Elvis Presley hair for a long time. And that is, uh, is giving me a, <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, I guess I have to adjust to that. But um, other than that, you know, it's like, it's like everybody else, everybody, like, you know, your, your weight and how much you, <laughs> how much of yours, how much you allow yourself to have good sweets and stuff. And, you know, I could go back and forth on it depending on the weather, but. Uh, <laughs> um, which living person do you most despise? By name, I don't. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, I don't, you know what? It's, it's funny because I always, I always like at least, you know, uh, for my kids, like I, I, I always say, don't, don't like, regardless, not just for people, for anything, even if they don't want to eat something, I always say, don't just don't say the word. I hate this. Like this, this had never been a, a vocabulary that I like. Yeah. yeah. Like, like the idea of guilt. I don't get along or I don't like, I, so I, so I think it's been like that. So if I really, if I don't like, or don't get along with somebody, I, tend to walk, to step away and not really engage too much. So I, so I don't get myself into that. Um, I sleep very well, let's put it this way. <laughs> Both Caroline and I are filled with envy. We really are, yeah. We're trying not to dislike you for cultivating that very enviable that is a real. That's a skill, an art, a gift, a blessing. I don't even know. <laughs> it really is. But it's also, it's cool that it's something that you're 
consciously trying to impart to your kids? Do you kind of, do you see the results of that in the way that they talk about things and people? I think so. I think sometimes I don't, but over, you know, it's funny how with, with kids, like what you're trying to teach it, like you wanted to see it on the spot or the result of it on the spot, but like it's almost two years after you'll be walking with your son and he's like, do you remember when you said this? And, and I'm like, oh, you know, I don't even thought that really actually this went through your head. And, and I'm like, so these, these, these ideas, I think, you know, I think, I hope so. I, you know, I, you know, as I mean, you've seen, you've seen my mood. I am in, I like the middle. I'm not very like, I don't, I'm not a big, I don't like strong opinions too much, to be honest with you. I'm not, <laughs> I think why, you know, it's like, <laughs> so I like that zone where it kind of like, you know, keeps it a little bit more flexible. I like that flexibility. And I think because, you know what, I, you can analyze yourself, but you can contemplate and self-reflect. Is it the fact that I grew up that the youngest of nine and that by the time I was five, I had like, you know, three fathers and five mothers and my sisters. My, I mean, and I, I can't have strong opinions because nobody's going to care. So it's kind of like, <laughs> nobody's going to let you at that point, I guess. Exactly. So it's just it could be that it could be. A, so I'm yeah. So I think I uh, I love that kind of. I love that you just said it made me think about the movie Tel Aviv on Fire because such central pivotal scenes are in this middle ground of the border checkpoint where there's, if you want to have extreme opinions, this is a place. So there's Israelis and Palestinians and everybody has extreme opinions. And your film takes place in this middle ground, both in the media through the sitcom or the telenovela and in this space when they're negotiating something. So I like the fact that actually they're negotiating in the middle of this place where presumably there's only extreme positions. So the movie opens up a middle ground um, where they work something out, which is nice. I think, you know, that's why, like, I feel like, you know, eventually your every filmmaker's personality or every artist's personality will seep into their, the way they see the world and in their work as well. So even if I try to, to be <laughs> extreme, I think it just doesn't, it's no. not coming yet. And I need someone else to write the script for me. So, <laughs> well, yeah, it works so well in that movie, though. And Uli, yeah, you're right. I'm just I'm remembering how the the way that Salam, the protagonist of your film, gets himself into trouble at the checkpoint is by asking a question of the guard about the meaning of the word explosive. <laughs> it's like just just a strong word in that situation opens up a whole can of dramatic worms that resolves itself really wonderfully. But, but yeah, so you feel like you see your own personality in that film. I think in all my work, I think, you know, there's a, eventually there's a, there's a hint of that coming somehow in different expression. I mean, in this film particularly, I guess, because that film was about an artist trapped in a political dilemma where you know palestinians wanted this this expression the israelis want this other narrative and he's like you know how could you manage your life through this uh, so which is like you know it's a reflection of my career as well you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what is the quality you most like in a man i like honesty I like I like straightforward honesty. Uh, I don't like dancing around. Uh, the question is the next one is um, it's very gender. This is a questionnaire from the eighteen nineties. What is the quality you most like in a woman? <laughs> well, it's in my wife. Passion. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so she's listening too, maybe, we hope. Uh, she, she's not, that's a, but <laughs> she will eventually. She will eventually. We'll send it to her, right, actually. That's, yeah, that's that's great that's answer. She's a very, a very passionate woman, and she describes an apple an apple, or <laughs> or, uh, or her career. It's just, a, there's, a, you know, there's that certain passion to it. You know, she loves what she loves, and uh, and I love that. You know, and I think maybe because of that, in in a way, it's uh, it's it's working. You know, like I like the middle, but 
mm. you know, to be to be in that place where you have opinions and you have, you're strong about it. You have to have, a, I guess, an extra level of passion that I right. think. Uh, <laughs> not saying that I don't have it, but it's just not as high. <laughs> right. right. No, it sounds like you you two are complementary. Then in that way, what is her career? She's a she's now she's a school psychologist and. Okay. And she's a PhD, PhD is a educational psychology, so. so. She deals with extreme opinions. Yes. <laughs> Teenagers have a few of those, yeah. Oh, I suppose so. I was thinking maybe that it was an interesting inversion that you might assume that the, the artist in the family would be the one with the strong, passionate opinions and the psychologist would be the one holding the middle ground. It's interesting to hear them reversed. Yeah, and I don't know, maybe we'll we'll change careers eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound like there's a need to do that. Um, what which words or phrases do you most overuse? I uh, okay, okay. <laughs> agreeable terms maybe sometimes <laughs> <laughs> which i replace with a lot with a, with a, an expression that my kids like you know now they they holding me accountable for it was like which is uh-huh uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that is very non-committal yeah yeah keeping like, that middle ground I, yeah they'll be saying can i do this and uh-huh i was like what does that mean is it yes or no <laughs> <laughs> you know that was that was my favorite term actually before before that it was inshallah which is you know in, in, in arabic means god willing right and so when my first son you know like when he wanted expressed his feeling and wanting certain things and of course like you know i want the ipad and i say inshallah which doesn't mean yes it doesn't mean no <laughs> and 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 for a while it's it's really it stayed as an answer for a lot of things and he never pursued like to want things more and I said inshallah and at the end of discussion oh, and then wow. when my daughter came a year after she when she started like talking and wanting things and I said inshallah and she says what does that mean is that <laughs> yes or no tell me now strategy stopped working <laughs> that's actually a big question for God like do you want me to have this iPad or do you not want me to have this iPad <laughs> God willing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What or who is the greatest love of your life? What is what? What or who is the greatest love of your life? God willing. (laughs) Of course, I think, you know, my kids. Yeah. You know, it's... uh, Um, When and where were you happiest? Well, you know, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I always seek happiness wherever I land. So I kind of like like to create that nest of happiness anywhere. So I think it's never been about a place or uh, for me, it's a state of mind, you know, like, you know, now I'm happy. I mean, it's, it's situation is not the greatest, but, you know, you have to find your zone in a sense. And I. But, you know, I can't lie that sometimes, you know, it's waking up in my childhood room it has, has an extra spice to it. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's kind of like it brings a lot of, because also I'm away from home. And uh, so every, and, and, you know, every summer I go and spend my summer with my family, with my mom and my, my siblings. And so, and this time, like, you know, I can't travel. And so, so yeah, I mean, I... I would say that my happiest would be that moment waking up in the morning in my childhood room. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's an especially apt answer for the Proust questionnaire because Marcel Proust, who was the author who made this questionnaire famous by answering it, uh, writes a fair amount about waking up in a room and having floods of memories come back from different, uh, periods of his life. And then, um, most famously, his big book, In Search of Lost Time, begins with him waking up in a room and then uh, gradually having this memory of his childhood that lasts for about 200 pages. So 
Uh, we always say to our guests that there's no reason to talk. We don't have to talk about Proust on the Proust questionnaire, but it's fun when some, when the answers uh, bring him back a little bit onto the uh, onto our uh, onto the table. Um, what I'm sorry. Uh, Which talent uh, would you most like to have? Uh, there's two things I always say to myself, or three things. No, I have three things that I always want to improve and I wish that I have, which is drawing. I always wish, like as a filmmaker, I don't know, since I, you know, stopped making films and I always wanted to be able to do storyboards, like almost like professional storyboards. And um, music, I, I used to play music when I was younger and I stopped. And I wish I could go back to it. So those are talent, like I think drawing and music and um, languages, you know, I always, I was always fascinated with languages. I mean, I don't know, sometimes life gets you busy, but, you know, I speak three languages, but I sort of a Spanish and French were always, I was in, in situations where I always hear it and I always, I understand French a little bit and I go to France a lot because of my work. So I always wanted to learn, you know, Spanish or French. So, but that's not a talent, you know, languages, I don't know if it's a talent, but, but I would say music and drawing is yeah. something I, I wish to go back to somehow or find a way to do it. This may be the time to learn it. <laughs> in this, yeah. In this <laughs> period. I don't know. I, I always think about this when people say, oh, this is the moment to learn the guitar or to make baked bread. And I'm like, but maybe that's not my goal in life. So this question is actually, maybe I don't want to learn to play the guitar, but this could be a moment to learn how to draw better and make music again. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. I mean, it's, uh, it's on, on the table. I mean, my son now plays the piano. Mm. Uh, so. Was the piano your instrument as a child or what kind of music did you play? No, I used to play the, the oud. Okay. Uh, which is like the Middle Eastern version of a guitar, I guess. Like it has like that big belly sort of an instrument. Right. It's called oud. It's um, so I played for like three years when I was a teenager, I guess. But um, and do you still have this in an oud an instrument? No, that was my biggest mistake that I gave it away, and I. Oh yeah. And you no. know, and actually, it's funny because I, I saw a friend of mine, a musician here in Brooklyn. And I was talking to him and I had that conversation with him is like, I said, do you know of, of anyone that is, that has a wood for sale or something? <laughs> so yeah, so it's on, on, it's going to happen. I think, <laughs> I don't know when. <laughs> this is going to motivate you to do it. <laughs> yeah. But I would love to. And you know, it's funny because now on YouTube and stuff, you can really, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of things you can learn uh, much easier than before. So. Oh yeah, it's incredible. You can really, uh, you can really, if you have the discipline, you can teach yourself just about anything. Yeah. Via YouTube, yeah. Yeah. My my eighty year old father has been teaching himself the banjo, and it's he sounds really good. I don't know anything about the banjo, but a lot of it has just been I gather from YouTube videos and online tutorials. So we're rooting for you that that you <laughs> you get to start that sometime. Uh, during this prolonged lockdown. Um, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Um, that's a good question. I never thought about this. What would I change if I... I, I think maybe I would boost my athletic <laughs> abilities you know i think I, I could use a little bit of that i could you know you know not to really work hard to motivate myself for a jog or that it's like naturally sort of a <laughs> part of my you know what i mean like people there's some people like this is a priority this is the and and um, i don't want to get there but at least just a, a <laughs> almost there kind of thing a little more yeah <laughs> yeah for some people that's true i think it's um i was a college athlete so for me it's very ingrained so i spend 
over a decade of my life working out so much and now I think it's very odd if I don't. So it's it's not that I'd enjoy it more, but I think if I don't do it, I feel just not quite right. I think it's just habit. I did it for such a long time that if I didn't do it, it feels like it's not, I'm not really, I didn't really spend the whole day doing what I want to do. See, that's that's the thing is, is I don't feel guilty if I don't. And that's what... <laughs> <laughs> and then that's what I wish that I could change. That I would actually wake up, feel guilty if I didn't go for my jog. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're a good motivator. Uh, Wait, uh, I guess it is for you too. Then, huh? Is guilt a good motivator then for you? If you could feel guiltier about not working out, would that would that actually help? I think so. I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> No, I'm spinning on the floor in superstition. I'd be careful what you wish for. You don't want to wake up too guilty. <laughs> just a little, just a little tad guilty. You know, I, I, I go, I go to the, you know, I go sometimes, you know, to you know, play a little bit soccer here in the park, and you know, and I see people who come and they have their bag and they have their prepared their, their they have tools and they have their, you know, shoes and all ready for you know, uh, a solo yeah. uh, <laughs> ritual of, of exercise. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? If you don't tell me, go do push-ups, I'm not going to do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Different people. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Oh. I think I think you know it's maybe it didn't come yet. I don't know. I mean, I'm still I'm still working it out. <laughs> I still have have a few things I want to reach. I haven't haven't got there yet. Okay. <laughs> so it's too early to speak. <laughs> if you were to die and come back as another person or a thing, who or what would that be? Hmm. I, I would I would like to come back as an explorer when things are not explored yet fully. You mm-hmm. know, like I feel like now we, I feel like we know we we are in that reality of we know too much, but we not sure what's true anymore or not. And that spirit of someone exploring and document, you know. I don't know. So part of that kind of exploring, I feel like, is exploring the world and is not is not as fresh as it sounded maybe a long time ago. Maybe I'm wrong. I know, but I, I would like to come back as Marco Polo or someone like yeah. you know, someone who just went to a new culture, a new thing, and just embraced and documented and. Uh, yeah, uh, I like that curiosity. Uh, <laughs> it gets people sit on a ship for three months and to go see something. I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> not know what they're going to find at the end of it. Yeah, exactly. Would space you, exploration count for you at all? Are you interested in going to space? No, I am not interested because I, I, I like where I know that people live there. I like people. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know. I'm gonna, if, I mean, if someone told me there's like a new, you know, whole set of humans <laughs> living somewhere, I might go explore. I think you know. Okay. We have an expression in Arabic. It says, "Having ha- having without people is not worth going to." Oh. oh. Yeah, that would yeah. be that would be um, <clears throat> yeah, pure emptiness. Yeah. yeah. So space without people is not worth going to for you. No, not interesting. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, Marco Polo knew he was going to meet some people sooner or later, I presume. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, where would you most like to live? Uh, I, I would like to, to keep what I'm doing which is between New York, Europe, and the Middle East. I like that kind of triangle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy it. So I'm kind of now, and 
when I retire, that's another story. When I'm like, wanna sort of feel like accomplished, yeah. <laughs> what I wanna accomplish. I, li- I like, you know, I like sunny beaches. I lo- love be- and the image of a beach and warm beach is is, is 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 something that I like. Right now, the three places. That's right. Yeah. What is your most treasured possession? My brain, I hope. Oh, okay. <laughs> that I can still uh, still remember and recognize things is uh, <laughs> yeah. not take it for granted. Right. <laughs> You're right. If you don't have that. It's hard to think about how much value another possession could give you without your brain. Exactly. What do you regard as the lowest depth of misery? I think when you're unable to connect with people Hmm. and connect how you feel and and engage, and I think that's for me is... uh, is very sad, you know, when... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually, I, I would, I think I can relate to that. The idea that you, you can't connect or they can't connect to you, but you're aware there are other people around. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, what is your favorite occupation? My favorite occupation that that I wish that I if it's not filmmaking, <laughs> I like filmmaking. <laughs> As an occupation, I like it. <laughs> so you'd keep that. And is there one if you weren't a filmmaker? Would is there something else you dream about sometimes? I mean, part of me, I don't know why. I always, I always thought that you know, owning. Uh, my own restaurant, sort of a bar, cafe, I don't know, it's always been a, an interesting pro- in occupation for me. I mean, so I'm, I, I always like that, of like, um, to have my own, my own place in a sense. But, um, but I can, I think I can do both of them eventually. <laughs> you know, the, the director of Francis Ford Coppola, he bought a winery. Nibam Coppola um, in the mid 90s. And initially it was just a silly project in a way, everybody dismissed it. There was a, there was a sea captain Nibam who bought this, who started this winery 100 years ago in Sonoma. And then actually it turned out to become a success and he makes wine, but he felt filmmaking and running a winery was all the same thing in a way. So it, it's now still Nibam Coppola, it worked. For many years people didn't think it would work and it was just silly because he wanted everything Exact, exactly right. The way his films are, he was a bit a perfectionist in the winery, but it's a very gorgeous place and there's a vision of Francis in the winery, which is strange. So sort of, you see it's created like a film set. Um, it's very beautiful. So there's a combination. I think, so. I, think I, like that. I like that because I, I think it also brings, brings me home a little bit talking about, uh, you know, my father was a farmer. I grew up, you know, you know, in, in the fields, you know, watermelon fields, olive trees, you know. So I can't, I can't have like my image of my own sort of a restaurant would be like those, you know, like almost like a countryside sort of a, like where you eat and people dine from whatever is around kind of thing. Yeah. Like, like a farm to table. People... Yeah, farm to table kind of idea. I like that. Uh, I think so if I, I think about it, let's say I think about it once in a while. what is your most marked characteristic and we believe that this means what do you think is the personality trait in you that other people notice first or the most or associate the most with you i i think you know the most i mean i of course you know you be I'm not young anymore, so you're aware of the things that kind of click in you with people. And I think it's it's always been, I think, since I was a kid that I, I'm a good listener. 
it's 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 just uh, you know I'm not saying it's just now. It's always like you know you know if the teacher would come to my mom's house, you say he's such a good listener. Hmm. And and it's just a. Uh, but not not in a sense of obedience listener, a sense of like observing, allowing people to have their space to say what they want to say and 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 give that space and that yeah. do you think that's partly growing up in a large family with lots of siblings, or is it more do you think your personality I think it's a personality mm-hmm. I think it's a personality thing because you know uh, I don't know. It's it's just yeah. I guess it's a trait that you have with you, and you know you have. You don't know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but that's what I think a, a lot of people would also comment on. You know. Yeah. Do you feel that that's part of why you gravitated toward making films? That kind of hearing the way people speak, being open to other people's perspectives and stories. Did that? Did that? Maybe subconsciously. I mean, I, I I didn't, you know, I was, a, you know, in high school, I was a math major and, oh. and physics. And, and I was, I was, you know, I was really, I had the highest grades and I, I was accepted to university, like, you know, a law degree and, and, and engineering. So I was in that, in that sort of, a, I would say filmmaking came to me as a, um, not by the way, it's just almost like I didn't know that that's what I wanted to do, but gradually I fell into it. Like I, I, I wouldn't say like my statement of being applying to film school was, you know, when I was seven years old, I watched Star Wars and I wanted to make a movie. And it's never been like that. I never seen Star Wars until now. So, oh, because I'm not interested in space, you know, it's just it's- <laughs> again. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but so you said it was more by the way that you came to filmmaking? I think it was it was more of um, uh, I want to try it. Like I always felt I belong as a kid, like, you know, growing up. In a, I belong to that kind of media world. I wasn't sure what that meant, whether it's an actor or a TV show or a, present, or a new. I don't know. I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know what cinema was or, or film or TV. So I had to really, it's a self-education almost. Mm-hmm. And that's when I did my BA and I, it was double major in, you know, in, in film studies and English literature. Mm. So I said, let me at least learn, see what it is before I commit to it. And, um, and then it's just, you know, I start to enjoy it. I like the diversity of the films I've seen, the, and talking about being an explorer, you know, suddenly I'm in, in, in this room watching movies that takes place in, in Italy, in China, in this. And I'm like, oh, I travel the world. I've seen it. So I think that part of it has right. really got me excited. And I said, oh, you know what? I want to, I want to, I think I have some stories also to tell. And it kind of like gradually grew through education mostly. You know, yeah. it's like one of those things where you come to film school and you're, your first screenwriting class and you say, well, I'm not a writer. You know, I never written anything. I mean, I, my, you know, my poems, you know, suck. My, (laughs) (laughs) whatever it is I'm trying to write is, you know, it's not, it's never clear what it is. And so I just, you know, but suddenly, you know, you evolve into and realize, well, actually I can do it. It's, it's different. It's telling stories in a different way. It's people. I mean, you know, I'm dealing with people. It's almost came, then it's suddenly in my upbringing and the art of telling a story sort of, it's kind of combined themselves in this, mm-hmm. in this expression. And you start realizing this and I'm like, oh, you know what? I can grow with this and I can expand and I can flourish with it. And But it happens, you know, like as every movie you make, you say, okay, this is the last one. I don't want to do it again. And then it just... <laughs> And then you get excited about something else. I'm like, oh, you know what? I still have one more to tell. And then <laughs> so it almost feels like this to me. Yeah. And still does, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely feel, and many writer friends of mine uh, have concurred on this. Uli, you and I have never talked about this, that when you're writing a book, you just think this process is so painful. It's so challenging. 
it's so exhausting when this book is done never again and then once the book is done you kind of forget all of the pain and the suffering and you think oh i'd really like to write about this so uli do you have that that kind of resolve never. just never again it's too awful and um before you know it you're back you're doing something right but I also yeah. think you, and then you fall into it and you already find yourself kind of writing and taking notes and sketching out in your mind before you even start writing. So yeah. it's yeah. not that I sit down like this is the moment I start writing. So I've been in my mind already probably processing this idea for such a long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's what I, you know, and I found very interesting about it in a sense like, you know, conceiving the idea and is much harder than the actual physical writing of it. You mm. know, knowing what it is, you know, and what, what is that thing that, that you're passionate about and kind of be able to articulate it is, you know, is the mind working and that could take time, you know, even like, you know, a movie, you know, the idea of Tel Aviv on fire, it started, you know, being inspired by a, a film, a Mexican film that a friend of mine made and, and that was like 2007. But actually physically sitting down and writing my film was 2013. Right. But I knew that that idea was sitting there, and, but I never knew how to, you know, how to go about it. But, but that takes time, and I, and, and I love that. You know, back to you know, the idea of being contemplative. I mean, that's, that's part of it. Just you right. contemplate an idea until it feels vivid. And, and yeah and ready ready <coughs> excuse me i was trying to stifle a cough we'll cut the part with me coughing <laughs> uh i was like this is so good what he's saying i hope i don't cough in the middle of it oh, please forgive me um no, what <coughs> one more thank you no, um, what do you most value in your friends Sense of humor? Yeah. <clears throat> Probably critical and um, especially important right now, it seems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a must. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who are your favorite writers or maybe even directors? Because in 1895, when they started popularizing this, they didn't have movies yet. Um, but so this is, who are your favorite? Do you have any favorite writers or we would think it could include directors or theater authors. You know, I, I have to be honest, one of my favorite, you know, writers is, is, um, is, a, is, a, is a poet from uh, Nizar Kabbani. Okay. He's a Syrian poet. And I, loved, I always loved his imagery. And I think he's a very popular so he always, he always, I mean, I, I, I have his, like, he's, if I carry books with me, there's always an Isaac Abani in my house, but he's a, he's a romantic, he's a romantic, uh, you know, poet. And so I like, I like him. I like Mahmoud Darwish as well. I like, for some reason, I like poetry more than, than fiction. Okay. I love imageries and, um. And so, I don't know, growing up, I mean, because I grew up, you know, when as a teenager, Nizar Kabbani wrote a lot of love poems and stuff. So it's kind of like, a, you know, it's kind of, um, it was, it was, in, in, you know, encrypted in me, I guess. And as, as, a, as a teenager in state, I still love them every time I hear them. And some of them were made into songs and stuff. Mm. Whereas filmmakers, I don't know, I, I have a soft spot for, for Desika. Um, and I think it's because, I don't know, because the first time I, I saw The Bicycle Thief and that was my first exposure to new realism and I wasn't even like sure if that's a documentary or fiction, like, I don't know, something so, and I think that that kind of, I don't know. So since then I developed, I would say a soft spot for Italian early cinema. I mean, you know, not like, you know, 50s, 60s even and 40s. But um, yeah, so if, if anything, and I still go back to them, you know, for some reason. Yeah. And they have, they, have the, they have the very basic sort of a very Mediterranean sense of humor that I, I was able, you know, to associate with. 
Interesting. The Dececa, I don't think I've seen this movie in 30 years or so, and I'm, I'm not going to make you answer, but I can't remember whether it's a documentary or a fiction film. I'm going to look at it again. <laughs> I don't know. Don't tell me, but I don't remember seeing it in such a long time. And I have the, the great benefit that I forget a lot of things. So I'll see it again and I'll be surprised again. Yeah, you oh. know, I have, I, have, I, have, I had the same feeling when I watched also the Battle of Algier. Oh, and, 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 and take it, you know, I'm, I'm going to take it for the, you know, I didn't, you know, you know, this, this claim, whether it's a documentary fiction, of course, is, is, is silly now to look at it. But from someone like myself who grew up not, wa I never watched cinema, really, like we didn't have access to go movie theaters growing up. So I, I and, and the idea of a documentary versus fiction, it was not as, you know, clear. Mm -hmm. To to you know, I, I didn't even know that it is two types of filmmaking. You know, I, I went really, I would say, very naive into the world of cinema. I was not, I didn't come with a lot of knowledge, and maybe this is why I liked it because I didn't have certain expectations, and it almost starts to feel like a journey. I don't know where it's gonna lead me, but um, but I, I loved in Tel Aviv on Fire. Um, that there's two dimensions. There's the 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 sitcom they're filming, so you know that's the fictional piece in it. And then the other one you now consider and regard as you as real. There's real people, and then they're going on stage and they're actors. So in the film, mm -hmm. they're split, and then you accept the other reality as this is real reality. And then the other thing is they're just putting it on stage. And I love that because I watched and you kind of so you don't you can suspend this distinction. Is this documentary versus feature? You play with that, and then of course the fictional part has real impact in the real world. I really love that this, that it opens that up, and you don't have to, as a viewer, decide is this real, is this not unreal. When I told Carrie watch Tel Aviv on fire, she thought, oh, this is going to be. I said no, it's actually really funny and charming. And said, I I was telling him before we started recording, Uli, I loved it so much, but also I love the the kind of that little moment of in the in the writers room where uh, the, the uncle on the, working on the movie, the, the protagonist's uncle says, oh, well, I stole that ending from the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> and, and he's trying, and the young guy is trying to convince him not to use that ending for various very important reasons to him. I thought that was such a great kind of film snob moment too, that kind of, but you know, rendered comically, the sort of pretentiousness of, oh yes, it was an homage to Apocalypse Now, or it was an homage to, I don't know, The Bicycle Thief. So that was really charming as well. Um, it was, are, are you working on a film now? I mean, lockdown is such a strange time, I know for everyone in every profession. Were you in the middle of something or? Yeah, I'm in the middle of a lot of things now, actually. It's, um... Yeah, I have my next my next feature in the Middle East is ready as I finished it actually before the lockdown. So now we are in, uh, putting it together. So hopefully as soon as the lockdown is finished, so next um, we're aiming for next summer to shoot. Okay. Oh so, great. Uh, but I have that film, and then meanwhile I'm I'm contemplating other uh, TV possibilities. I'm doing a uh, actually I'm doing a remake of my film as a TV show on the Mexican-American borders. Great. So, oh, where the show is like a telenovela or something? Or? Yeah, it's a telenovela, but uh, the, the character live and crosses between Mexico and the US. That's fantastic. Yes, so that's, that's the next, next uh, I'm developing now the project with a, with a studio here in, in LA, so. Oh, great. So that's one, and I have another book that I optioned um, you know, so, sort of um, an, an American story set here in New York, actually. And um, so I'm adapting that as a TV show as well. So I'm, I'm curious about the TV, the TV possibility, you know. Uh, I'm interested in exploring that. Okay, something I've never done before. And, uh, yeah, and it's a great creative medium now because of um, <coughs> streaming, etc. So it's in what, what's happening, what used to be TV is now this whole new platform. I mean, Absolutely. It's a series, yeah. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm developing this summer. I'm writing on these, on these ideas, and let's see. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I'm so excited for the, uh, 
the transposing of your Tel Aviv story into um, into the U.S. and Mexico, and that's obviously really timely too. So we'll cross our fingers that you get to shoot next summer as as planned. Who is your who is your hero in fiction? Is there or in film? Do you have a character or figure, an imagine imaginary figure that you admire? I love Don Quixote. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> He's my favorite. <laughs> the ultimate dreamer, you know? Yes. <laughs> that's interesting. That's a good, that's a, exactly the ultimate dreamer, the ultimate character of fiction, right? Yeah. Yeah. Type. Which historical figure do you most identify with? I I don't know. Is it is it is it? Uh, I always admired uh, Eisenstein, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Is it just because he's a communist? Because his birthday is is the same day as mine? Maybe. Oh. <laughs> Do you mind sharing that birth date with? I with think it's March our... March fourteenth. You and Eisenstein, really? I think so. That's what I, that's at least my memory. And I mean, let me Google it to actually make sure. But that's every time I make, <laughs> I make a joke about it. I hope it's true. Uh, if not, I guess it's, uh, it's an imagination. I have a friend who is very um, interested in psychic and paranormal phenomena. And she claims that there really is something to yeah, share yeah. a date with someone. So. Yeah. Born March 14th, 1879. Okay, nice. So. <laughs> Do you know a lot about him as a as a figure? Do you know a lot about his life? No, just um, not particularly different than any. I think maybe a little bit more. My, you know, just because of science, I was I was a science major. I guess maybe his theories are, you know familiar with now it's 20 years since my science class last science class so I don't know if I still remember as much but you know growing up I think yeah it was like you know it's like he was the you know the symbol of, of a lot of uh, <laughs> being smart and being you know a leader in, a, in, in what he does and and also a good man I guess yeah uh, who are you heroes in real life they're real life people now. Oh man. I think there's a lot of heroes. Every day there's a new hero. So I think it's uh, <laughs> our heroes now are doctors and nurses, and mm -hmm. tomorrow's heroes are someone else. I feel like that we live in that world now. We, you know, heroes are, are you know. Our product of a moment, but I think it's 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 uh it's it, what reminds me that every time a new hero is born is is when humanity starts to feel is when humanity is under threat and we cling into that that thing that brings a you know a, sort of an answer and a possibility to fix the the situation. So I think, you know, you know, when the prophets came, they came in a time when people were looking for a hero. So I think uh, that's why, like, I think, you know, to be, there's no, I think it, it's, it's a concept more than I just, um, I feel like, I think it's, it's almost like the, the concept of, you know, wanting when we need, when we are as human, you know, as human race or feel like we are an, in a corner, we start looking for a hero and it's a concept more than right. an actual person to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and that concept keeps changing, depends on where we are and what we, what we need to somebody. What we need at that moment, exactly. What are your favorite names? <laughs> My favorite names? Jad and Layla. <laughs> Can I guess that those are your children? Yeah, Layla and is my daughter, and Jad is my son. 
Beautiful names. Manal is my wife, and you know, it's, so, it's funny because she's you know, Tel Aviv on Fire starts with her name. Oh, oh right. <laughs> yeah, and that's soap, soap opera scene. Yeah. Her real name, the, the spy, her, na- her name is Manal. And <laughs> right, <laughs> for, talking for about a, hom- a homage, you know, <laughs> to, to name. That's, <laughs> that's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, it's kind of nice when you show her the first rough cut and she says, what have you been doing this whole time? I said, oh, it's about you, really. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, what is it that you most dislike? Uh, in terms of what? Like, uh, just be a little more dislike. There's a lot of things to dislike and, you know, certain taste. Uh, you know, sour, t- sour flavors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not a big sour, you know, you know, what is that? What is that? Like say sour gummies? Yeah. I just can't stand them. Like, they, I don't know, like why? <laughs> and I don't know why people like them. So I don't, yeah. So I think the things that leave a a sour taste in my mouth, whether it's (laughs) or or a thought or a... (laughs) I I actually like sour things, kind of taste It's interesting. But I always wonder why people are born so differently and those things are really innate to us because siblings in the same family, they have totally different preferences. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of, uh, you know, you know, I, just the, the idea before you actually taste something sour is, is just, uh, you know, it's, it's that's the most that, uh, you know, maybe after you have it is, is, is okay. But just the idea in between, yeah. you know, grabbing it, putting it in your mouth and that, that two seconds are the, the hardest part that I dislike because it's just like expectations of how sour it's going to be is, is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> What is your greatest regret? My greatest regret? Wow. You know what? I really don't, I don't want to be sound like too much, but I don't have one. Like, I don't have something to say, I wish I've done this. I wish I've changed it. Like, hmm. I think I, I, as I said, it's, I mean, I don't know if we call it regret, but I, I, I don't like the idea too much that I'm separate from my family, like this distance, but then, you know, I built something beautiful in the process. So there's no regret in it. You know what I mean? But there's, if there's anything, if, if there's any hint of regret, how could I have, could win both worlds more often and, and i think that maybe still an issue in me uh, you, both worlds you're like the family you built in brooklyn and the family you have in the middle east yes i just if i can get this a little bit closer and not feel like you know uh, distant i think that's that's something that I, if you call it a regret there's but I still don't regret it fully because I, you know, maybe it's one of those things you still feel like you can work, still work it out somehow. Right. <laughs> so yeah. talking about the ultimate dream, dreamer. So it's kind of like, it's not in the phase of regret because I still see the light at the end of the tunnel that I can hold on to this possibility. Don Quixote. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you're actively looking for an oud for sale. So you can you can get that back. So there's there may be some there's some hope. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I, I didn't. I, I see. It's funny thing. The the, the Oud story has um, the Oud is, is it doesn't have as much of a regret feeling to it because I gave it to someone I I you know uh, that made a, a better use of it. So, so. But that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an instrument. It's meant to be played. Exactly. Right? How would you like to die? I don't know. 
the minimum pain to others, I would say. Like, you know. Mm. You know, I, as you say, I, I, I like I like simple things. So I think I don't want my death to be too over the top. <laughs> so just if you live your life simply. Over the top. <laughs> you know, just, you know, just keep it simple. Middle middle ground, not an excuse. Yeah, just like not. Let's not make a big deal. Let's not like you know cause pain and agony, and just, let's keep it simple. I don't want to bother anyone. <laughs> Inshallah, okay. Inshallah, you know, it happens enough. <laughs> what is your motto? I mean, I think it is, it is just, I think I, uh, my motto is, is just always tell the truth, no matter what, like just stay, stick, you know, mm-hmm. not, to, not, yeah, I mean, I, I like that. I, I mean, I said it maybe before, you know, like, you know, you know, if you don't lie, you don't have, you don't have to remember anything. I think it's, it's, it's my, really my, genuinely my motto that I'm trying to, to live by. Yeah. You know, honesty is, is honesty. You know, is, is a is a is a good thing. I feel like it's just keep it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is there is there somebody we add this question? Is there somebody you would like to hear from answer the questions on this questionnaire? Yaman, Yaman, did you talk to Yaman about? <laughs> oh, I haven't. He's roasted now. He's next. He's next. He's an Ethiopian filmmaker, documentarian, a friend of ours. And so that's a great idea. So I can ask Yamani next. That's a wonderful idea. Oh, fantastic. So thank you so much. It was great. (laughs) Yeah, it was really fun talking to you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. The same. It was a lot of fun. uh... (laughs) And we're super thrilled for your um, next project. I know. That's great. Thank you so much for doing this. We were lucky to get you. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.